1: Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Ken Wendell. He is an author. He is a speaker. He's a consultant helping companies figure out how to drive leadership, how to drive performance, particularly around service, and helping companies really kind of craft their vision and hold them accountable for what they stand for and what they promise to do. I'm excited to have this conversation. I think the service industries, people that are leading service organizations, it can be a challenge and really kind of getting clear on what your values are, what your goals are? What does your vision look like? And I think without that, it becomes difficult to execute well. So I'm excited to talk with Ken about these things, understand what he does, about the work that he's done, some of the uh, workshops and the speaking and the writing that he has done and really help get the word out there. With that, Ken, welcome to the program.
0: Thank you very much, Bruce. I appreciate the invitation to join you and looking forward to uh, sharing some ideas. Yeah, well, I'm excited to have you. I always like to start with
1: uh, understanding, uh, learning about people's backgrounds. Uh, How did you get into what you're doing today?
0: What What was your professional background? What's your professional story? Well, I I started out as a COBOL programmer, which I understand that there's a lot of, a lot of people looking for that these days uh, <laughs> in, the, in the IT field. And and I read a book by Tom Peters when I was a programmer because I kind of got into programming because, you know, you don't have to deal with people. You just deal with <laughs> the exactly. computer, right? And so I read this book by Tom Peters called Thriving on Chaos, and he kind of turned my world upside down that, he, you know, it really is about people. It really is about relationships. And so it kind of got me thinking about, well, how do I, as, a, as an IT person, contribute value to the organization I'm part of? And so my career has been pretty much focused on this idea of value and how do you enhance your value? How do you add value wherever you go, whatever you do? So that's been kind of my uh, focus over the last 20, 25 plus years. And, and I think you're aware of the fact that I, you know, I've tried to capture a lot of the concepts and ideas around this idea of value mm-hmm. in the book that I just published last year. Yeah. Well so let's
1: dig into that and just kind of understand the definition or you know, when we talk about value, what are we talking about? Who defines it? What does it mean? Why is it important?
0: And that's actually a, a great question because the you know value means different things to different people. Yeah. And you know, I, I mean the a friend of mine shared with me, you know, value like beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Mm. So so you know, you can look at the, you know, the definition in the dictionary, what value is, you know, the, the benefit, the you know, of, of a something or whatever but i i kind of take it you know and look at it from a personal perspective is it worth it to me and if it is worth it to me it has value if it isn't worth it to me it doesn't have value and so i you know kind of turn that around is it worth it to you the time the money the hassle that it takes for something to my life with it my life without it mm-hmm. does it enhance my life by having it in my life And we've all had the experience where we've gotten something and we go to try to install it. We try to make it work and it gets to the point where we throw our hands up and just say, forget it. And we shove it aside. In other cases, it's like, wow, I had no idea this could bring so much benefit to me that the value is definitely worth it. And so you kind of look at this from the standpoint that value comes from what you can do and what you have and you use what you have and what you do to create value. So you can increase value by either increasing what you can do or increasing what you have because your value isn't from what you have or what you do. It's what you do with what you have. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> And and so that's kind of the, the starting point is that, you know, somebody pointed out to me recently that, you know, and it's been part of my thinking for a long time. There are two types of people. There are givers and takers. Givers, it doesn't take a lot to take or it doesn't take much to take, but to give takes focus it takes effort it takes you know looking at what other people look for in terms of value and benefit so value starts with the whole idea of what's in it for others not what's in it for me And so that's kind of the starting point. You know, we want to be people of value and delivering value to people.
1: Well, that's an interesting one because I think that, and it comes up in so many aspects of business and we see it in sales all the time, right? It's like, I've I've got this, I've got this amazing product. Why does no one buy it? Right. It's like, well, (laughs) because you think it's amazing, but for, for whatever reason, they don't think it's so amazing. So you clearly don't understand something about how they are seeing value or you don't understand some kind of bigger context that they're operating in. So, well, you may solve a problem for somebody, you may create a bigger problem for them by doing that. And I think it's this huge kind of concept of uh, being able to see things from their point of view, being empathetic, being, you know, being able to envision what your customer or the person that you're trying to help is going through. And then how do you best help them? And that may not, that may be very different than your own view of the world. Absolutely. Tell me about how you how you kind of work that into this to this idea, and how how can you be?
0: How do you determine value from their point of view? Right, and you know when you when you mention that, you know, that I use a, you know, I, I like this idea of you know story time, and there's a lot of stories I've picked up over the years. There's a lot of stories I've developed by observation. I, I look, one of my favorite quotes is Yogi Berra, who said, "You can observe a lot by just watching." <laughs> And I, and I, and that's kind of, you know, that's kind of been my, uh, the way I've kind of operated is I've, you know, watched certain things, but there's a great story about, you know, the segue, the, the, uh, the device, you know, that you stand on, you know, and some brilliant people, you know, including like Steve jobs were like, you know, this is the, you know, this is the biggest change in transportation since the wheel. And, you know, and they saw this, you know, tremendous value of this thing, but the general population kind of shrugged their shoulders and go, eh. <laughs> you know, like, where do I park it? You know, how do I, you know, and, and all these different types of things. And so, again, the value isn't what you perceive it to be. The value is what other people perceive it to be. And perception is a huge, huge part of that. So so I talk about, you know, there's five elements that I've kind of observed that allow us to kind of quantify and then increase our value. And interestingly enough, I, you know, I, I've always been a fan of, you know, using acronyms for to kind of communicate. And so value basically breaks down to your vision, alignment to that vision, leverage. What is it that we have around us that we can leverage? What is it that makes us unique? So our uniqueness is the U. And then lastly, if we can't execute, if we can't actually make things happen, then those other four elements are pretty much worthless. So the value formula, which is the title of my book, is, you know, vision, alignment, leverage, uniqueness, and execution. And I kind of break those five things up and and then break them down and then kind of communicate well how do you craft a vision how do you align to that what does it mean to align so it's been uh, it's been fun yeah well i love
1: that idea that you have to execute on it i think a lot of people end up you know kind of in this navel gazing you know mode of of thinking and thinking and thinking but they never actually do and i always say that you know that that do component is, is where you actually learn and it's where you test things and it's where you you start to iterate right like that's that's the point in which you get feedback and that feedback will help you you know go through the cycle faster. Let's go through your process so let's talk about Viva's vision So what does that mean? how do you develop a vision what, what's the what are the kind of salient points of a vision that are going to be useful in this process
0: yeah I, I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek uh-huh. and you know, the idea of you know understand your why it really kind of does start with that. And why do we exist? And I find a lot of organizations that they kind of get down the road a ways and they forget why they started doing what they started to do in the first place. Yeah. And then there really is nothing more sad than that. They, you know They get caught up with the idea of more and bigger and stuff like that instead of just really saying, well, why, why did we start doing this? And so a vision statement is, is kind of you know, we look at it as kind of like, that's where I'm going. That's my finish line. But in reality, thinking about and creating a good vision statement is, is the starting point. You know, there was a quote that came out from a Harvard professor a number of years ago that the problem with strategy is deciding what you're not going to do. Yeah, And and so it's kind of, and I kind of take that same idea. The problem with the vision statement is you have to kind of decide, well, what am I not going to be? <laughs> And, you know, because most of us, you know, we have so many opportunities, so many different roads we can take, but yet we have to kind of our starting point is like, well, what is it that motivates me, drives me? What is my why? And then how do I take that and craft a vision of what my value is?
1: Yeah, I like to say one one of my favorite phrases is you can do anything you want, just not everything you want.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I've always said, you know, that, you know, you can't be everything to everybody all the time. Yeah. So you have to be very judicious about what you are going to be, who you're going to be that for and when. Yeah. And, and so, you know, this idea of crafting, I think the real word is crafting, crafting a vision that provides you with your purpose, drives you to establish your goals, leads you to ways to accomplish your goals. It can help you stand out from your competition. And it also, a good vision statement compels you to achieve those goals. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Makes sense. And and how do you know what's your litmus test for having crafted a good vision? Like how can you tell if the vision is right or not right or a good one
0: or not a good one? Well, the the thing with a, a vision, a good vision, and and again thinking about it from a value perspective is it's inspirational and it's aspirational that you think about your vision statement and it it's kind of like somebody pointed out that it's i created a model that kind of uh, encapsulates the my value formula and the vision is identified as a star and it really is you know it's our guiding star it's it's what kind of makes sure that we're staying on target Mm -hmm. so it's future based it's about you know if you look at good vision statements it's to be, to become, to create. and then it's about inspiring and providing that direction internally. And the vision statement really is more of an internal thing and it kind of tells you, you know, where am I? Where is my organization going? What direction are we moving? But again, you know the litmus test is really kind of like, does it inspire you? Yeah Does it have the type of wording, the nomenclature that kind of like it gets you it gets you kind of like stirred up inside. Yeah. And next in your list, uh, A was for alignment, correct? Alignment. yeah. And, you know, I mean, an alignment, again, in, in the little model that I have is is an arrow that basically, you know, underpins and points directly at that star, that vision. You know, if, if we don't have focus, if we don't know, you know, first of all, if we don't know the direction we're moving, we kind of, you know, go go left and right. And we, we don't really have that that power behind to accomplish our vision. So you think of alignment as kind of like putting all the wood behind the arrow, mm-hmm. putting our best efforts toward the accomplishment and the moving toward our vision. If you look at like the internal mechanism of a lock, there are those little tumblers in there that if they're not aligned properly, that door is not going to open. So alignment is very important. You know, we know what happens if uh, the wheels on our car are not aligned, right? It it could be downright dangerous. So alignment has a lot to do with, again, alignment to our vision, you know, alignment to our customers, our core values, and we accomplish those aspects of alignment by our activity. We make sure that what we are doing is moving us in the direction we want to be moving.
1: Yeah, I always uh, talk about you know in team and team performance, you know, if, if everyone's pulling in different directions, it doesn't matter
0: how far you pull, you're not going to go anywhere. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and yeah. you see that a lot where organizations, you know, the 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 marketing department is going one direction, the sales department is going in a different direction, the IT organization is going in a totally different direction, HR is, you know, going in a different direction, and it really is about getting people and that's why again having that vision is so important is to give us something to align to. If we don't have that vision, then people tend to kind of create their own direction. And then that isn't obviously very productive for the organization. Yeah. Yeah. A, a Dutch friend
1: of mine had a, a great phrase and translates to getting everyone's noses pointed in the same direction. Yeah, It's much more poetic in Dutch, but, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. I love that idea. It's like, yeah, you just got everyone pointing
0: in the same direction. Yeah. 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 Singing from the same song sheet. Yeah. I mean, that's you know, like, you know, yeah. to have an orchestra with, you know, not playing from the same music can create just a lot of noise and uh, disharmony. So, so it really is, this this alignment of activities. One of my favorite quotes, I think I first heard it when Stephen Covey in The Seven Habits talks about, you know, the most important thing is to make sure the most important thing remains the most important thing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And uh, so that's part of the idea of alignment is aligning our activities to make sure that what we're doing is actually moving us in the direction that we want to be moving. Yeah, I like it. So that was a L leverage leverage leverage. And this was you know, of, of all the aspects of the value formula. I found the idea of leverage is one that I think is probably the most compelling because I think a lot of people, they don't really stop to think about it. Leverage basically is gaining an advantage by using something. And I, one of my little things that I like to do, like in my, seminars and stuff like that is to talk about, you know, the story of the man watching his son trying to move a rock out of his sandbox. Mm-hmm. And the little boy is struggling with it and struggling with it. And the father says, Are you using all your strength? And the little boy is, you know, frustrated. He says, Yes. And the father says, Are you sure? And he says, Yes. And he says, No, you you haven't asked me to help you. Mm. And I thought, you know, that's a great story. But you know, but I take it a step further and I say, the father gets up, walks over to the tool shed, brings a shovel out pushes it down next to the rock and tells his son, you know, here, grab the handle here. And the little boy grabs it and he says, now pull. And he pulls it and the rock just kind of plops out of the ground. And the father, you know, says to the son, that's leverage. Leverage is basically can make a difficult job easier and it can make what may seem like an impossible task possible. And there are different aspects of leverage. And I talk about, you know, that leverage in the diagram is, is kind of a diamond shaped cornerstone that underpins the arrow on one side. And there are four facets of leverage that I talk about, you know, people, you can leverage people. I mean, you know, in all candor it right now, I am leveraging you. Yeah. Uh, um, I'm leveraging and, you too. <laughs> exactly. And, and then that's, and that's one of the nice aspects, you know, it's not using people. A lot of times people think that that's using people. It's basically, it's leveraging someone else's expertise, their influence, and, and we sometimes forget this. And, you know, again, I, you know, talk about story time, you know, the story where Steve Jobs called Bill Hewlett and said, you know, like, I'm looking for this piece. I think it was Bill, it might, it might have been David, Dave, Dave Packard, but I think it was one of the two. He called him and he says, you know, I'm trying to, and when he was 12 years old, Steve Jobs calls him, picks up the phone book, you know, calls and says, I'm, you know, I need these parts to do this science project. And Bill Hewlett was so impressed, he gave him a job, you know, working on that very assembly line that summer. And Steve Jobs said he'll never forget that lesson of just reaching out and asking somebody for help. Yeah. And you know, most people are more than happy to do that. And we can leverage organizations, mm-hmm. uh, you know, associations, clubs. You know, Toastmasters is an amazing organization that a lot of people have leveraged to enhance their communication leadership capability. Yeah. And then I also talk about leveraging process you know, basically creating something that you can use over and over and over and over again. And something I think people are especially learning now during this you know unusual time yeah. is the idea of using tools and technology. People who had never thought about doing a virtual meeting by using Zoom or Skype or you know some other technology are discovering that, you know, these are tools that we can leverage that enhance our productivity, that in turn enhance our value.
1: Yeah. I think it's one of the underestimated, underutilized uh, aspects of business is is take taking the assets the resources the relationships context we have and figure out how can we make win-win connections with them but use them to our advantage use them to absolutely get closer to our goals
0: um, yeah next on our list you was uniqueness uniqueness yeah and and this is another thing you know we a lot of times we don't know about our own you probably heard the expression, you know, you're unique, just like everybody else, <laughs> yeah, right? But, you know, that we have, as either individuals or organizations, talents and skills and capabilities that the combination of which are completely unique to us. And, you know, you see a lot of me too type of individuals and me too type of organizations That they they just basically they just want to kind of be a carbon copy of something else. And there's a an amazing individual that wrote a book that I heard her her name. Okay, Sally Hogshead. Okay, Sally Hogshead wrote the book called Fascinate. Mm -hmm. And she says it's being different is better than being better is being better. I, I may have I may have just, you know, destroyed her. <laughs> but this idea of understanding that our uniqueness allows us to stand out from the crowd, that we can capitalize on what it is that makes us different and use that. And so, again, the, the in the in the model that I have, the aspect of uniqueness is, again, a diamond shape cornerstone that supports the the arrow and I talk about again the facets of that particular thing people is a facet of uniqueness we look at ourselves and we look at the people that are part of our organization I found that people always make the difference I think we recognize that, and you see examples of that. But I don't think people really have internalized that it is the people that will always make the difference. If you look at the organizations that really stand out, mm-hmm. it always comes down to their people.
1: And how do you make sure that the people that you have are the people that are going to make the right difference? I mean, that's, uh,
0: that's a that's uh, an interesting concept, and I don't know if I don't know which comes first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have several you know examples of that. You know, I have a friend of mine that is a, an HR executive, and he said that the company. Companies that will excel are the ones that focus on talent and talent acquisition and talent development. And, um, you know, it, you can you know, apply that to sports as well, right? Yeah. Uh, how do you develop the talent? And really sincerely creating, again, one of my heroes in business is Richard Branson. You know, and he talks about your first line is not your customer. Your focus isn't necessarily 100% your customers, your people, mm. If you treat your people well, you train your people to the point that they could go anywhere, but you treat them so they don't want to go anywhere, that's one way to do it. Make sure that the people you have in your organization know that they are the most important part of your business. A lot of times we forget that. We take people for granted. We talk about them being our our biggest asset, and then we throw their assets out on the street. Or or we don't, well, yeah, we don't treat them well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and another aspect of of uniqueness is our philosophy. You know, how do we do what we do? And you know, I use uh, examples as an example. You know, they've captured their philosophy in ten points, and and uh, and people, you know, again, they they recognize this idea. You know, our environment and what it says about us, and then you know, then I talk about the the facet of culture and the expression that you know culture will eat strategy for breakfast. And how do you recognize your culture is, uh, I I use the expression of stop, look, and listen. Okay. Stop, look around you, see what people are doing, how they treat each other, and then listen to what they say, the stories they tell. And it will definitely be an eye-opener one way or the other when you stop to, you know, when you stop looking, listen to your culture.
1: Yeah. Any suggestions or strategies that you give when you do that and and what you see and what you hear is not so good?
0: Well, the, One of the things, again, you know, this observation is that an organization's culture can become evident in a lot of different ways, but to a significant degree, culture will manifest itself through behavior, how people treat each other and how people treat their customers and their mindset. And there was something I was exposed to a number of years ago, and these, you know, I kind of point out that, you know, through the years, you know, things stick to you, they become part of how you you work as an an individual and as an organization. And something that really stuck with me is this idea of think and act, that how we act is largely influenced by how we think. And employees will think a certain way and they'll act a certain way based upon that. And they're largely influenced by how their management acts toward them. And so there's an employee culture and there's a management culture And if we focus on the management culture and change the way management thinks, in other words, again, this idea of training people really, really well, the employee will recognize, well, management apparently sees me as being valuable because they're investing in me. And I will act accordingly as opposed to, you know, where the management basically, you know, kick the cat, right? Yeah. Kick or kick the dog type of thing where, you know, they treat their employees poorly and then they're shocked that the employees don't treat the uh, the customers well.
1: It's interesting. I like, I find that one of the concepts I, I talk a lot about when we're, we're doing organizational development work and particularly companies that want to grow is – Improving your management culture will do one of two things. Either it will change your employees' behavior, right? They will start Mm -hmm. to see it, oh, okay, so this this is the way we're going to do things now. Uh Or it will make it so uncomfortable for the employees that are unwilling to change that they will leave. (laughs)
0: Exactly. It's it's The whole thing about, you know, put the right people on the bus or uh, a friend of mine, his favorite quote was you either, you know, if you want to succeed, you either change the people or you change the people. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. so that's kind of the idea. But yeah, you're right. It's it's you know my daughter is uh is a manager of a pharmacy, a specialty mm-hmm. pharmacy, and she has these. You know, she's kind of taken a lot of my advice to heart over the yeah. years, yeah. which is nice. Yeah. And and so that's kind of how her philosophy has been: is that you know she makes it very clear you're working toward a standard, and if you don't want, if you don't like that, then you know then you can find opportunities elsewhere. And she does it in a nice way. But I think that that it, and it should be. I think that's management's biggest responsibility is to hold that standard up and, um, and make sure that, and I use an example, a friend of mine shared with me about, you know, two different companies, one that thought we can just change technology and process, and that'll be good enough. And another group of management who said, if we want to lead change, we have to lead the change. We have to change ourselves to make that happen. And the big, the contrast between those two organizations after a few years,
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's culture is you don't install it. it it's something that is uh, developed and it's done intentionally. You either do it intentionally or it's going to develop on its own. Yeah. One way or another, it's going to develop is kind of your choice, whether you want it in your way or, or uh, in a way that you don't like in the end. Very true. And organizations, you know, again, you look at organizations like Zappos and my, my son was talking about how, you know, one guy says we fight to keep the culture that we have. And it is, it's is—it's a—it's an ongoing effort to develop and then to, to make sure that you keep the culture that you want your organization to have. And again, it's all based on people, you know philosophy, environment. A lot of those are the aspects uh, of the, what I call the facets of uniqueness. Yeah. And so that's you, E, execution. That's, yeah. Uh, Ram Charan, the author of The High Potential Leader, and I use this quote to kind of start the chapter that execution is the great unaddressed issue in business today that, you know, we can have beautiful vision. We can align to that. We can, you know, leverage things. We can have uniqueness, but if we don't get things done, which is what execution is the art of getting things done, a gentleman by the name of Jim Duff, I had the honor of working with him a number of years ago at Hewlett Packard. And we were talking about these ideas and he said, yeah, these are great ideas. He said, but um, without execution, he says, you know, nothing will happen with those ideas. And he said, execution is the secret sauce. And it was almost one of those like mic drop moments, right? Boom. And again, that's something that stuck with me. It is the secret sauce. It's the thing that without it, no value is generated with a vision without execution is just, you know, pie in the sky. It's a pipe dream. Mm -hmm. So I approached this, you know, from a standpoint of what gets in the way of execution. And a lot of times it's the, again, can be culture, it can be politics and then then talk about basically a process for execution where you establish what the goal is, what people need to do to achieve it, where they are in relationship to achieving it. In other words, having a, a scoreboard where people can see we're winning or we're losing. And then also this idea of accountability. Organizations, I find that you know, high-value, high-performance organizations, they hold themselves and they hold their teammates accountable for achievement, for execution.
1: And, and where, um, I guess, where did this – typically fall down? I mean, is this on the accountability side? Like people just don't deliver on the things they say they're going to deliver on? Do people get the wrong tasks? Do people not figure out the right action plan? Where do you see this kind of falling apart?
0: Well, I think a large portion of it is, again, this is from observation. I think a large portion of it is that the goals are not clearly established and then also i think one of the issues is and i've seen this with a number of customers over the years is they want to do too much mm. you know people who are results oriented they want a lot of results and you know i was talking again to this friend of mine who's an hr executive and i said how many goals do you have for yourself for next year and he says i got about 10 and i said and i said how many do you expect to accomplish with any degree of completeness or, or excellence and he goes maybe one or two yeah. and i said well yeah. then then pick those two And really, really focus on those. And so there's a great book that came out a few years ago called The Four Disciplines of Execution. Mm, Yeah. And the first discipline is to focus on the wildly important. What are those things that will make the biggest difference, the game changers? And a customer I had a few years ago, a consulting customer, they had lost like 30% of their staff, you know, moving on to different parts of the organization or maternity leave or different things. And they were still trying to do everything they were doing when they had full complement. And I said, you know, what are the things that are going to make the biggest difference? And we selected two very, very important, wildly important goals. I said, forget everything else. The things that you have to do, you're going to end up having to do anyway, right? So focus on those two things. And then we started measuring the things that would indicate that they were focusing on those two things. In other words, acting on what are called lead measures and then keeping a scoreboard. So they knew where they were in relationship to achieving those two wildly important goals. And then they began to recognize that if we don't do these things, we are not going to succeed as an organization. And so they started, basically, I was just a, kind of a catalyst there. They were the ones that were doing the work. Mm-hmm. They were the ones that were holding themselves and their teammates accountable.
1: Yeah. I think this execution thing is is so key. And it's where so many you know companies end up failing to really execute on strategy. I always like to say strategic goals are the things you need to focus on. Or if you don't put focus on, will not happen otherwise, right? There's no exactly. external pressures. So that's why we set these strategic goals. And that's why we focus on these things. And I, I always say I'd rather see you know, a couple of things happen in a quarter than a whole bunch of things happen in a year, because that's the pace or that's the time period you can actually get things done in. I mean, annual goals are good, but it's really, what are you going to do in the next 90 days? And and more importantly, what are you going to do this week?
0: Yep. And one of the things I, you know, I've always recommended to people is that, you know, you do this weekly, right? You establish, what do I need to accomplish this week? And you hold yourselves accountable to that. And that's, that was kind of, you know, one of the things that I've tried to incorporate in my offerings to the, you know, the select customers I work with is what I call active accountability, where I will meet with them and I'll basically hold their feet to the fire and say, okay, well, you said you were going to do this. Did you do that? Mm -hmm. And they know this meeting is coming. So therefore they know they have to do something to get there. And and I think that's, that's part of what you do. You you create almost kind of a habit internally of this idea of accountability. I said, I'm going to do it. I'm doing it. Public shaming. There's nothing like public shaming. It, yeah, I call it positive peer pressure. <laughs> I like it. Yeah.
1: Good. Ken, this has been a pleasure. Uh, if people want to find out more about you, about the value formula, about the book, about the workshops that you do,
0: what's the best way uh-huh. to get that information? My company website is edify, E-D-I-F-Y, I-T-S-M, dot .com. Edify, I-T-S-M, dot .com. Edify, I-T-S-M, all one and then dot .com. There's information about me, my book, my offerings, and the seminars I'm doing, I you know I have one coming up fairly soon, which you were talking about the time frame on this. So that, but I will be doing that on a regular basis, making it available online, where people by the end of the the six hours of the of the seminar, they will have kind of marching orders, so to speak. They'll have a direction, they'll have some steps that they can take, and then part of that is also the the active accountability, where you're going to get back with me and you're going to share with me what you did in the accomplishment of these goals.
1: I like it. I like it. I'll make sure that the links are on the show notes here so people can click through and highly encourage everyone to go check it out and take advantage of it. Thank you. Ken, thank you so much for taking some time today. Uh, great conversation. I like the value formula. I love the execution piece. I think there's some really key things in there that people can learn from, and I appreciate thank your time. You. Absolutely. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeld.